This is the latest edition of Return to Reason with Leon Fontaine, where knowledge, common sense, and wisdom intersect. With a high value of people and their right to think for themselves, Return to Reason endeavors to present the whole story so that you can make fully informed, wise decisions and bring positive change to your life, community, and to the nation. And now, here's Leon Fontaine. One of the most important fundamental freedoms is totally invisible. The constricting of it is subtle. The silencing of it is masked under terms like tolerance and social justice. If you don't understand and exercise your freedom of conscience right now, someone else will. What are you willing to give up? On today's episode of Return to Reason, consider your conscience. Freedom of conscience appears in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and many other bills of rights around the world. Yet despite its universality, this human right is by and large neglected by the courts and the policymakers. It is widely misunderstood and often lumped in with other fundamental freedoms. My research has led me to the conclusion that freedom of conscience is the most vital freedom we have and the only way we will grow as a nation and preserve the traditions and culture that we value. Right now we're in our fifth wave of the pandemic and modern society has never been so fractured. There is no love lost between passionate defenders of their viewpoint as though somehow science and freedom are at odds with one another each claiming to have the moral high ground. Comedians will someday joke about how ironic it is that in the year 2020, the whole world lost its vision. Acknowledging freedom of conscience, I think would be a logical first step in repairing what has been destroyed in our national culture. In any case, it would be a win for human dignity. I am gonna lay out evidence to exercise it, defend it, and encourage it. After you reflect on the information for yourself, I guarantee you won't think of freedom of conscience in the same way that you did before. It's the first fundamental freedom listed in Section 2 of our Charter. So the members of government must have deemed freedom of conscience incredibly important. One Supreme Court ruling quantifies it like this. An emphasis on individual conscience and individual judgment lies at the heart of our democratic political tradition. The ability of each citizen to make free and informed decisions is the absolute prerequisite for the legitimacy, acceptability, and efficacy of our system of self-government. In a 2020 video series, Professor Marianne Waldron from the University of Victoria characterized it like this. Freedom of conscience involves really the process of moral reasoning. And I think the fact is we all have a concept of what is good uh, and how we should achieve the good. The right to actually take positive steps because your conscience dictates it may be a little more subject to limitations under the Charter. But I think particularly the strongest aspects of freedom of conscience are this right, the lifeblood of the democratic system to engage in moral reasoning, and the right to be protected from the state coercing uh, unpopular conclusions about moral issues uh, from being forced to violate their conscience. 
And issues of conscience and religion are, I think, very central issues. Freedom of religion, to a large degree now, has, is being seen by the courts as simply a personal, private choice that people make. I think it minimizes the fundamental nature of all kinds of belief commitments, including ones that we would commonly think of as religious, but somewhat broader than that. This is narrowing uh, this issue. And part of the work that might be done by freedom of religion can, I think, be properly classed under freedom of conscience issues. But courts tend not to talk about freedom of conscience. They talk about freedom of religion because many conscience issues do overlap with religious issues. So they look at a case, they say, well, it's a religion case, but moral commitments aren't really core to religious belief. So really, this isn't a very important issue. So it's dismissed. And I think one of the problems is that we are making our society vulnerable to a kind of moral totalitarianism that I think is a serious problem for a democracy. I mean, the majority has the right in law to express moral commitments and to make those part of the law. But under the charter, what the charter is supposed to be for is to protect the unpopular, the minority opinion and to give it a strong protection so that it, it isn't just simply stomped out and oppressed. And that's just part of the democratic process. It ensures the possibility of change in a democratic society, which is absolutely crucial and probably the thing that distinguishes totalitarianism from democracy. Democracy can only function properly if the people exercise their will. It is our duty as citizens of a democratic nation to insist on justice when any infringement to freedom has ripple effects. Without the safeguards in place, any democracy will fall victim to the ethical standards of those in power. Freedom of conscience is a vital safeguard. It's the power of each individual to have a moral say in how the nation is run. It is our best tool to navigate what justice is in an unjust world. That's why you should care about freedom of conscience. There is far more at stake than just preserving your personal opinion about a particular dilemma. The future of Canada will be created from our collective conscience and reasoning. Long before the Charter became part of our Constitution in 1982, Canada had a long history of honoring exemptions based on conscientious objection. Vaguely worded details in the Military Service Act of 1917 and the need for appearing before a tribunal made it a difficult process for pacifists at the time. Some even served jail time for their refusal to enlist. Even so, in a time of warfare, Canada deemed it possible and lawful to allow citizens to exercise their conscience. Progressive governments nowadays tout buzzwords like diversity, inclusion, tolerance, and justice, but often only mean to apply that to distribution of power and money, de facto, buying votes. It's the oldest political power grab in the book, appealing to different tribes of voters by exploiting their pain and deeming the government as the ultimate remedy to that pain. It's divisive and has many complicated fallouts. Under this motive, big government doesn't really want diversity of thought at all. Rather, they want the power to make sweeping legislation and demonize any dissenters. 
This trend has been alive in Canada for years. The pandemic has only magnified its effect. Some of the pre-COVID policies that took shape based on this trend are abortion, gender, sexuality, medically assisted suicide, and even the green agenda. Very complicated and complex issues where big government has tried to legislate conscience conformity. During the last two years, the fear and negativity coming from those in authority has been suffocating. The narrative leaves very little room for critical thinking or diversity of thought. If you take it at face value, you think the world has never been worse off and everything is coming to an end tomorrow. But I argue that big government telling us to all behave will not stop the angry infighting. It's awakening the people to this concept of freedom of conscience. We must understand it and exercise it like a muscle. In order for this muscle to get strong, we have to get all the parts working together. A decision of conscience brings together one's intelligence, knowledge, morality, experience, responsibility for outcome, and convictions. I refuse to give up on Canada. I think we are much, much better than what politicians and media outlets often paint us as. We are smart, resilient, and full of thoughtful solutions. In situations of deep moral conviction, more than one freedom will rub up against another. There may be gray areas, so to speak, where each individual must strike a balance of rights for themselves. The ability for each individual to navigate the gray according to his conscience is vital for a healthy society. Regardless of whatever political, religious, or ideological labels we tend to wear, one virtue remains common. We all want to think for ourselves. Far left, far right, and everyone in between should know what freedom of conscience really is. If you only remember one thing from today, let it be this simple definition. Freedom of conscience is the right to make decisions, have opinions and beliefs motivated by a comprehensive value system, whether grounded in religion or in secular morality. If you don't want to engage with words or actions, at least do society a favor and exercise your mind. We will only grow and shape our culture if we all collectively communicate our ideas and cooperate toward solutions. How do you think we got this far in society? We disagreed. We moved beyond the status quo. The way we exercise freedom of conscience today will ultimately decide what kind of Canada will be left for the next generation. Now that's a sobering thought. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe nor politic nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it is right. Wow. Joanna Barron is the executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation. The CCF defends the constitutional rights and freedoms of Canadians in courts of law and public opinion. Moral convictions and moral beliefs are moral beliefs. 
irrespective of whether they come from your faith or just from your own reason or intuition as a human being. And so the charter very clearly, explicitly protects them both in the case of the religious and the non-religious. We recognize that it's important that people be able to follow their inner moral compass. People are free to run businesses, make fundamental decisions about their life and livelihoods and bodies. And the more that government implicates itself and sort of like cuts down on the area in which we have to navigate as free individuals, of course, the the basic premise of, you know, a liberal democracy is that human freedom is an inherent good. Like it's just, it's good in and of itself. Human beings are endowed with reason um, and, you know, depending on your view um, are made in the image of the divine and just allowing us to pursue our free will is an inherent good, of course, insofar as it doesn't traipse on the rights or livelihoods of others. And so the more the government sort of gets involved and starts uh, dictating the nuances of how we live, the more we fall away from that ideal Um, And the less we can say that we're a free society, but it really comes down to being aware of the fact that as a Canadian citizen, you have rights, that we have the fathers of confederation that had very specific reasons for enumerating these rights. You have the charter um, and you have these specific sort of like guardrails against government influence. The common good is kind of a myth, right? What's good for that? Like it's, it's sort of this mythical ideal, but actually the common good is individual liberty overall as the starting principle. Of course, it's not going to be a perfect principle. And as I've said, you don't have the right to hamper on other people. Um, But we have to just be really clear when something, when individual liberty is being curtailed in the name of the common good, um, whose vision of the common good is it? Because in a free democracy, the common good is basically the freedom of all. It is a duty of each citizen to make decisions based on conscience. As much as you might want to under duress, there is no parlaying that to the government. You cannot abdicate the power of your conscience to an entity. But consider this. How can each of us make informed decisions of conscience if the knowledge we are being fed is misleading or misinformed itself? I don't know about you, but I have never been so fired up about seeking truth and knowledge. The cultural landscape today is so polarized and closed off to debate. I don't want to limit myself to any one particular set of ideas forever. What I really want is truth. William Wilberforce was relentless in his strategic mission to bring an end to the slave trade in the early 19th century. You can imagine how unpopular his ideas were at the time. He was vilified by countless men of power, but he followed his conscience and changed the course of history. Sir Thomas More was instrumental in birthing the first documents of democracy. He betrayed his loyalties to his king and friend for the good of the people based on his conscience. He paid with his life. He wrote, When statesmen forsake their own private conscience for the sake of their public duties, they lead their country by a short route to chaos. Although people aren't usually killed for following their conscience in modern-day Canada, people may sacrifice their careers, reputations, relationships, property, and even serve time in prison. 
A 2021 report from the Canadian think tank Cardis makes compelling arguments for robust protection of freedom of conscience. Titled Our Inner Guide, this independent research paper looks at three examples within the province of British Columbia. A hospice in BC was censured and stripped of its property over their objection of conscience to providing assisted suicide services. A Catholic parish in BC was allowed to object to renting out its building to the local pride parade group. An opinion column was removed from the website Canadian Lawyer for stating that the BC courts took a distinct side in the debate about gender identity and expression when adopting the wording that each defendant had to provide the court with correct pronouns instead of the previously used term preferred pronouns. The column essentially suggested this could be seen as compelled speech. Ironically, that opinion itself was censored. Now that's a lot to wrap your head around. Compelled speech, compelled to provide medical services, and compelling private organizations not to discriminate were all handled by lower courts. It is important to note that all three of these cases did not take the same judicial journey. The Catholic parish was awarded the right to say no. By the court's judgment, the LGBTQ2 organization had several other choices of buildings to rent for their event that would not violate the conscience of the landlords. The only Supreme Court case considering freedom of conscience directly is R.V. Morgenthaler. This 1988 case dealt with the constitutionality of abortion laws. Justice Wilson stated, The decision whether or not to terminate a pregnancy is essentially a moral decision, and the conscience of the individual must be paramount. This case has been continually quoted when it comes to allowing patients to receive medical procedures, medical professionals to perform said procedure, or object to performing them in accordance with their conscience. When you dig into this a bit deeper, you'll discover that there has been an effort to find alternative measures to allow for pluralistic views. In Alberta, for example, if the only doctor in a remote area objects to providing a service or a referral, then the patient can use something called the Care Coordination Service to facilitate access to procedures that attract conscientious objection, such as abortion or assisted suicide. One of the top legal and academic minds to speak on this invisible freedom is Professor Brian Bird. If moral freedom is what freedom of conscience protects, why we protect this freedom boils down to the fact that conscience touches on core moral commitments that sustain our identity and integrity, who I am and what I stand for. Objection to medical procedures based on conscience has certainly been a topic these last few months of the pandemic, hasn't it? Namely, the COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutics to treat COVID infections. I am not an epidemiologist nor a virologist. My opinions are that of a Canadian who cares about people. I don't want to see anyone die needlessly, and I don't want to see liberty or freedom killed in the meantime. I personally feel that our leaders should be doing a much 
much better job of robustly respecting freedom of conscience and personal decisions. They could be providing way more data to the public, a variety of medical viewpoints, and objective information about all of the options available. Dr. Scott Balsidis, whose online bio says he is a viral immunologist with Gilead Sciences in California, tweeted this thought in November of last year. Our disagreements on COVID are now rarely about science. Their differences in values as such, it's important for scientific experts to recognize that we are not moral experts. Our opinions of what costs and trade-offs are justified are not more valid than anyone else's. All health-related interventions have risks and benefits. This has always been true long before COVID. The difference is that today we aren't allowed to talk about it. I sometimes wonder if all the leaders in this nation have forgotten the phrase, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Give Canadians a chance to hear all the information. I truly believe the majority of Canadians do not want to intentionally harm others. But I do think we all want the freedom to make our own choices in accordance with our conscience. To go with this modern trend of saying um, we are going to deploy the power of the state, legal sanctions, fines, etc. against people because they say something which other people uh, can be hurt or offended by is, uh, is far too high a price to pay. The, the classic argument for free speech has always, and, and the risk of offence that that carries with it, uh, has always been that we don't know everything. We don't yet have the perfect truth. Yep. Unless I am exposed to other ideas and other arguments, preferably in a respectful and, 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 and rational and reasoned manner, um, I may never change. Yeah. I may never get to a better position than I'm in now. Our society may never get to a better position. Clearly, there's always going to be a balance between what is good speech and what is bad speech, but the way I think about it is this. We should lean in favour of free speech as a society. Um, we should have minimal legal restrictions on speech. There are other sanctions than legal sanctions on poor exercise of free speech. They tend to be social sanctions. Um, I'm not going to, <laughs> you're not coming to my dinner party or I'm not going to meet you at the pub or the cafe because you've taken that view or, or I give you a robust rebuttal of whatever you've just said. Um, or or, or we, have a, we have a robust uh, Facebook or Instagram conversation on something. They are the better ways of dealing with Poor speech. Government overreach and moves towards socialism, essentially giving the state more power than it had before, don't do anything to breed confidence in a nation's people. In fact, being constantly under the thumb of government eventually erodes the will to fight for what liberty and autonomy citizens once thrived on. When we get into the habit of looking to the government to solve our problems, we do not grow out of it. We do not mature. A society can quickly slip into a mode of immaturity, wherein we expect the government to take care of us more and more and more. This problem becomes alarming when you realize entire generations have grown up with the worldview that when circumstances go bad, one can simply print as much money as needed, live off someone else's investment, 
rewrite ugly parts of history so no one's feelings are hurt and suspend the law when necessary. We need to get back to maturity. We need to exercise freedom of conscience on a personal level. We need to passionately defend it, and we need to encourage it for all. Everyone across the ideological spectrum should have the ability to exercise their freedom of conscience. Further to that, we should expect a high level of respect and ethics from those in positions of public office. In its intended form, freedom of conscience is connected to freedom of thought and also fuels the argument for freedom of speech. As a professional psychologist and academic, Jordan Peterson was thrown into one of the fiercest modern-day debates around compelled speech five years ago. In a recent interview, he gave his opinion on the dire need for freedom of expression and freedom of speech in society. I believe that the reason that free speech, for example, has to be the primary virtue, let's say, primary value, is because free speech is indistinguishable from thought. And thought is indistinguishable, especially thought done socially, which is more sophisticated thought because many brains are actually smarter than one, plus we think in words, and so there's a huge social element to thought, and we don't only think in words. And so thought is the literally the process by which consciousness makes adjustments to our presumptions. And so since we're all error prone, no matter who we are, because the future is different than the past, then if we don't make free speech and the role consciousness plays in using that to adjust our presuppositions central, we all stagnate and things fall apart. And that's ancient wisdom as well as I would say modern clinical wisdom. Did you catch that? Without the freedom to think and speak differently from one another, we stagnate and things fall apart. How stunning when you reflect on these past few months. History repeats itself over and over. Benjamin Franklin wrote, Without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. We need to share and express our ideas and beliefs in order to grow. No one is without fault. We should all encourage critical thinking and accept the fact that social harmony doesn't mean we have to all think exactly alike. The report from Cardis that I mentioned earlier challenges readers with this thought. Although we cannot see into the future, we must respect freedom of conscience, however unpopular it is in the moment. Before limits to freedom of conscience are imposed in the name of progress, we should acknowledge that societies have made mistakes in the past and might do so today. Humility is a virtue for wielders of public authority because human beings are fallible. History teaches that conscience can instigate fundamental social change for the better. Conscience, though inherently individual, is vital to the common good. In order to realize societies that are just and equitable, it is safe to say that freedom of conscience is nothing short of indispensable. We all wrestle with this balance of individual liberties and the common good. 
But I'd rather live in a Canada that spurred one another on to be the best version of themselves rather than a nation that segregates or stigmatizes people under wrong assumptions and false data. Whether you agree or disagree with what I've presented today, I'd like to challenge you to acknowledge the importance of this fundamental freedom. Freedom of conscience is the first domino. If it falls, it takes several other freedoms down with it. What are you willing to lose? There are three things you can do to take a stand for liberty. First, be brave enough to discuss this with the people around you. Even if they don't agree with you, most people appreciate being asked for their opinion and their perspective in a respectful way. Second, reach out to organizations and leaders who need to hear how valuable freedom of conscience is to you. Quit being Mr. Nice Guy. Let your voice be heard. Freedom-fighting organizations might be able to use your perspective to strengthen their efforts. Politicians need to hear from their constituents. And third, share this show with someone. Never underestimate the power of information and encouragement. Rather than returning to a normal pre-pandemic life, I want to see Canada get better. Let's come out of this thing with a renewed sense of personal responsibility and common sense. Let's all return to reason. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv. There, you can also find out more about Leon, his books, and his other media series. You can help us grow this podcast by rating, reviewing, sharing this episode with a friend, or subscribing. Still want more? Follow Leon Fontaine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material for this episode, use the link in the show notes.